Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week we have Mal Cooper on the show. We do. And it's a really good interview. Yes. um, We talk about a lot of different things. Of course, we talk about ads. Mm -hmm. Mallory's kind of known for Mm -hmm. ads and being able to uh, figure out what's wrong with your ads. Especially Facebook ads, yeah. Yeah, yep. And then we also talk about um, co-working with authors and creating a literary universe. And I thought it was really good, and I think it'll be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Mallory's very, very smart. She's she's one of the smartest people I know, so she's got a lot of great information. So I think I think everybody will really get there's a nugget in here for everybody, I think. Yeah. 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 And we also talked a little bit about craft. We talked about, um, dialogue tags and how Mm -hmm. difficult they can be. And, uh, yeah, Uh, that one, we, we all agreed that you want to have dialogue tags instead of he said, she said, if you can, Yes. but then after a while you kind of run out of things to, to describe. Right. Right. I always say I, I never know what to do with their hands. Their hands are just floating around. And, but you uh, tagged me in a book by Valerie Howard, A Thousand Character Reactions for the head to t- from Head to Toe. So um, it's a small little book, but it's full of stuff. I haven't actually used it, but I have read through it, and it is kind of amazing. So we can put that in the show notes because yeah. I never know. I mean, it's like teeth. Here's one, you know biting someone really uh tearing a package open with teeth and frustration you know stuff like that which is always some of those good. will work in some genres but yeah. not in others exactly 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 that's right i don't think you'd have anybody biting anyone in your cozies but i can yeah. be wrong yeah maybe maybe the dog but uh but um yeah i saw that on uh twitter on the mm-hmm. creative pen her mm-hmm. uh jonah pen's t- feed and I right. thought, oh, that sounds good. And since Jamie and I always talk about how difficult that is, I tagged oh, her. So I we was, even talked about writing something because it was it's so hard. Right. But now, now Valerie's done it for us. So we yeah, so it'll be just easier to buy the book. So. Exactly. So exactly. we'll put that link in there. So, so what have you been doing? Oh, well, I have been busy because yeah. my release is Tuesday. So the day this comes out is my, the day of my release. Um, and I've been busy. But... I've handed off some of the responsibilities uh, to Adriel Wiggins. She was on the podcast. She's our PA for the show, but she's actually for the first time I've given some of the responsibility away for art team and gathering some information and reaching out to authors and stuff. And that has been awesome, but it's kind of left me going, Hey, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I, cause my, file need to be upload needed to be uploaded by Friday and I uploaded it Thursday morning. So, um, yeah, so I'm ready to go. I'm just yeah. kind of waiting now, um, doing kind a little of, PR in promo online, you know, and stuff, but kind of feel like just, you're playing hooky. I do feel like <laughs> I'm playing a little bit of hooky. It, it, 
interesting and I'm a little bit of a control freak. So, eh. <laughs> uh, but things are going great. The reviews, the early reviews are fantastic. So I really, I can't complain. I can't complain. So, you know, again, let me just say this to uh, our listeners. And if you're a new listener, you'll have, you won't have heard me say it, but our other listeners will. The only way you fail in this business is if you give up. And this book took me a year to write. I mean, it was it, my last release was last July and it has been a horrible year filled with a bunch of really hard stuff without COVID. And then you <laughs> add COVID in. And I mean, the only way you fail is if you give up. So don't just don't give up. Don't give yeah. up. Just keep going. Um, yeah, yeah. But I really wanted to mention too, that uh, I just listened to the six figure author podcast with David Gogren, mm-hmm. which that's one of my favorite podcasts, but it's, it's, this week, what is this? I, y'all, I can't remember dates. Just look for David Gogren's name. It's, yeah, um, early July. Yeah, early <laughs> July. Cool. Um, but it is so good. I mean, I'm going to listen to it again because it's got so much good information. I mean, you know, I'm a David Gogren's disciple, so yeah. I think that what he says is just gold. And um, But there's some really good stuff in here that I hadn't really considered before. Um some of it I was doing, some of it I'm not doing, and I need to be doing it. And yeah, it was, it's really good information. So yeah. to well, that. we'll link to that. And that's funny right. because I had a little note to like, if I see if some here or find something that's helpful, I like to pass mm-hmm. it on. And that was one yeah. of my little helpful things. And I was going to oh, mention yeah. that he's updated. Let's get digital, yes. which is yes. a great resource. So mm-hmm. we'll link to all that in the show notes. Well, and he talks about this in, the podcast so you can listen to it but he has a new class starting and mm-hmm. it is for beginners it is for people who haven't p- published or have published one book y'all I will tell you and I've said this before that the success I've had has been because for a year I learned indie publishing like I knew the things that should be done some of them I couldn't do because I didn't have the resources to do them some of them I knew I needed to do and I figured out a way to get the resources. And that's what this class really is going to tell is going to help you with like, what are the things that really need to be done? What are the things that I can wait on? And, and just sort of help and walk you through that process. Like I'm speaking for him. I don't really know. I haven't seen the class, but listening (laughs) to what he said, it, that's what it sounds like. It just sounds amazing. And so if you're new and uh, I I think he mentions it's going to be affordable. So that's great. Yeah. And he's always, his stuff is always entertaining and yes. really good. And so um, we don't get any affiliate or anything. Oh, no, no. We're just recommended because we both I'm, I'm just have, a David Godwin have learned a lot. So, yeah. 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 Learned a lot from him. So yeah. yeah. So we're well, good. Well, yeah. I think we're going to plan and do a special episode about launches later. Right. So after the launch is over, we'll have a launch or we'll have an episode where we talk about yeah, different ways to, to launch your book. So we'll yeah, do that. There are different ways. Sarah and I launch a book mm-hmm. completely differently. Mm-hmm. And, and depending on how often you release, you're going to launch a yes. book. It's going to be a different kind of release. So yeah. 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 I was thinking about it the other day and I think that I treat a sale the way you treat a launch. Mm, probably. Cause yeah. yeah. I, cause I don't have sales that often. So when I do, I want it to be a big, make a big splash. Yeah. And that's another thing. I've got book four in my bride series, uh, free right now, mm-hmm. which I almost didn't do, but I was advised to do it. So I did. And gosh, it's, it's done so well. I mean, and it's, I'm seeing like that's book four, but 
all the numbers of the other books are rise, you know, or okay. the ranks are improving. I'm not advertising those at all right now because I'm saving my money for uh, <laughs> the, for the, the new big book splash. Book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's, yeah, it's been really um, interesting that, 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 that fourth book would get such, it's never been on sale before, but it's, it's gotten a lot of um, tension and I'm just, I'm getting rid of a lot of them. So that's great. And my, you know, my page reads are going up already and it just went free on Thursday, I think. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, so what about you? What's going on with you? Um, well, I'm still working on the uh, Christmas book mm -hmm. and that, you know, I, in my mind when I started, I was like, Oh, it'll just be a little 40,000 word Christmas yeah. story, not too complex. And so now at 40, 5,000 words. I'm beginning to get to the end. <laughs> I'm about to hit that place where I'm like, okay, this is the climax and now it'll all go downhill yeah. from here. You know, right, and then, like right, once, right. once I kind of get to that peak, then it's so much easier for me. The last like right. third of the book is goes really fast. So, mm -hmm. so I'm happy, but I feel like it's taken me forever, but I'm getting there. And, mm -hmm. um, I've been doing a lot of stuff. I have, I've decided to uh, become an LLC in S Corp. Mm -hmm. And so I've spent a lot of time switching everything over. And because I'm wide, I have, you know, like 15 different places to notify, which is yeah. great that they're all sending me money, but then I have to change all that. So yeah. that's taken a lot of time. Right. So, right. so maybe someday we'll do a podcast about business. We might have Joe back on and yeah. Talk about transitions and how right. to do them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that would so, be really good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. So I guess we should get onto the show if you yeah. have nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So All here's right. Mallory. So today we're really happy to have Mallory Cooper here with us today. Hi, Mallory. Hey, how are you guys? We're great. We're great. So Mallory, tell us what genres you write and how did you get into writing? So I write um, in sort of a broad swath of science fiction genres, mostly space opera, uh, military science fiction, and hard science fiction. I also sort of dabble in some YA, um, science fiction romance, and kind of just about anything else you could imagine. Um, I got by starting with, started with writing when I was 10 years old, and I finished reading Lord of the Rings, and I didn't want the story to end. So I started writing really bad 10-year-old Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Um, <laughs> and I Yes, it's, it's probably still around somewhere too. It's it's awful. I'll cry if I read it. Um, but I um, I think I was about thirty years old, and I decided to try my hand at science fiction. I had always read a lot of science fiction. I started writing it, and it just sort of took off. And mm -hmm. I was finally able to read the books, and they came together really well. And the rest is kind of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I that would say so. Yeah, I would say it is. <laughs> That is great. Well, so what would you say was your first big, big success? Uh, the first big success I had was this book called OutSystem. I first published it in 2012, and it kind of did nothing for um, almost four years. Maybe sold like three or 400 copies. And um, in 2016, my wife, Jill, started trying to do some Facebook ads for it. And we did a couple, she did a couple, I did a couple Facebook ads, and we did some ads that were a little bit different than what we've been seeing, ads that asked questions and were maybe a little bit controversial. 
Um, and also ads that really played off some of the tropes that were out at the time, or that actually that I had always seen on covers and the way that um, science fiction books had always been marketed in magazines and whatnot. And that book, uh, all, all my books together, Jill's books together, were making maybe three, maybe $400 a month. And when we got that book to start having traction with ads, we were making $25,000 a month, four months later. That is incredible. Incredible. That's, that's wonderful. I'd yeah. call that a success. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that I want to point out is that um, Mallory was talking about using the tropes in your ads, and I always like to point out good, good little nuggets when our guests give them to give them to us. So if you guys are out there and you're looking at your Facebook ads and they're not working, are you using the tropes in your in your ads? Absolutely, that's really key. Mm -hmm. I think it is too. Trope sale. So that is, um, I, yeah, I always do that. And I was, we were talking earlier, and I was saying when I heard Mallory having such success with Facebook ads, I'd been very afraid of them. And I thought to myself, mm, I need to learn these. And I did. And it was really hard. And it took me, it took me about eight months before I was really comfortable enough to dive in, but mm -hmm. they've been game changers for me too. So yeah, really great. So what do you wish you'd known about uh, writing and craft, Mallory? Well, so I'm, I'm one of those rare writers who, I don't know, I'm not that rare. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I never really got a lot of I never really read any books on, on craft or how you're supposed to write or anything like that beyond like what a grade 12 education teaches you about like a three-act play, a five-act mm -hmm. play and whatnot. But I read a lot of books. Um, I remember like I was, when I was in grade 12, I would skip class and sit in, in the library at high school and read books all morning. Like I would skip all my morning classes and just read books. And I always kind of wonder, actually at the time I didn't really wonder too much. I was just more thankful. But now I wonder why the librarians didn't like wonder why this kid was sitting there all day. <laughs> they're probably glad you're hanging out in the library. <laughs> yeah, they're all like, wait, this kid's reading books quiet. We got a customer, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I, I, I think one year I read 400 books, but I usually average between three, 200 and 300. And that was sort of how I learned how to tell stories. I mm -hmm. learned a lot about, you know, how, how what kind of character arcs and what sort of tensions were good to have and and how to sort of to build the, the climb towards the climax and and just as a reader the sorts of things I liked to read like what how much story did I like there to be after the climax and you know did I get bored if there were too many ups and downs inside the story and the answer to that is no I loved it when there's lots of ups and downs inside the story so I kind of just naturally wrote what I enjoyed but the thing that I really didn't do well at for quite a while was understanding what to do with my character's physical um, yeah. actions and their surroundings. I used to give a lot of description of, of setting and what the characters were doing with their hands and their facial expressions um, to the point where, like, I always had them nodding. Like, I was describing, <laughs> like, all the they were doing. This one reviewer was like, the story is really great, but the characters are like bobbleheads. They're, like, constantly knocking <laughs> and their arms around and stuff. So one of the things I learned to do is to, to only ever use one physical action um, mm -hmm. to describe what character might be. They might be raising their hands and shaking their head and yelling and stomping their feet, but don't describe all of that. Just pick one thing, the one yeah. particular action that they're doing that conveys 
what you want the most. And that's going to make the story the most concise and, and keep things flowing. Yeah. Yes. That's so hard to do. The, uh, the tags that you use, it, if you're using, trying to use action instead of dialogue tags, it's, we've talked about this, Jamie, on how yes. frustrating that can be. And I have gotten to the point where I'll go through my manuscript when I get done and I'll search for the word nod because <laughs> I feel like I want to, you know, like you want to show that they're involved in the conversation or that they have a response. And so I subconsciously still use nod. He nodded, mm -hmm. she nodded constantly. So I have to get that out. So I totally sympathize and understand that. Yeah. And, characters too, then, eh? yeah. Yes. And I and never it, know what to do with their hands. Like, it's just like, I never know what to do with my character's hands. It's like so frustrating to me. <laughs> yeah. Sarah and I have spent a lot of time talking about this one thing. Cause I, I just get so frustrated and then I end up, I have to search for brows. My brows snake up, hook up, climb up someone's forehead a lot in my books. <laughs> Mine are always lowering. The brows lower, the brows deeper, <laughs> you know. Um, but with the hands, hands I'm actually really good at because the only time I ever really describe hands is if someone's crossing their arms. Yeah. They're like putting a hand on someone else's shoulder or, or shaking mm -hmm. hands or clapping yeah. someone on the back or something. Yeah. So, Pretty good with hands. That's good. But yeah. Jamie and I just have said we need to make like a compendium of movements and yeah. just like make a list of everything your characters can do instead yeah. of like nod or raise an eyebrow because that's yeah. very common too. So. I, like, I like saying every now and then I throw in this one cocked an eyebrow just to, you know, keep it. <laughs> oh, that's a good <laughs> one. I'm interesting. Gonna, I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> um, but by the way, it's mutter. My characters, sure, there some books that everybody's muttering the entire book. <laughs> Editors like, can you stop with the muttering? But it seems to rotate. Like last book, apparently, everyone had like a, a wry grin, and they were oh, that's grinning. hilarious. She's yeah. like, dear God, like not again. She's like, you have like, <laughs> bruises and wry grins. Yeah. Like this is why editors are so important <laughs> right, right, to help right. us see all these things. Um, what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Oh, well, I mean, the first one, which was clearly wrong, was sort of the if you build it, they will come thing. Mm -hmm. um, that turns out not to be true at all. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to understand. And I think that's a really important thing for people to realize is that there are like between 70,000 and 100,000 books coming out every month now. Um, and there's just no way people are going to find you unless you market your book. So unless you, you know, want to hunker down and wait for, you know, and I don't, I don't even know if, if the trad pub industry is even going to survive the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but unless you want to try and wait for a trad pub deal, you're going to have to actually learn how to market books on your own, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate, but just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've talked about that on here before. And I, you know, I always hate to say that because, you know, when I started, I had no money and, um, but I had $5 a day and that's what I started with, with AMS ads. But I don't know if $5 a day would get you very far right now. Um, but you can do things. You can save up before you put the book out. So you have some marketing money, um, you know, or wait until you get the three or books out or whatever, and then start marketing. Those sorts of things still work. But yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's just too hard to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult time for that. There are a lot of things you can do that are inexpensive ways to market mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. um, I, Jill and I still believe, so we recently released a book on called help my launch plan sucks. Mm -hmm. We talk in there about how Jill went, took a brand new pen name and using just like a, 
I think it was like an 8,000 word reader magnet, built herself a list of 3,000 people in just mm -hmm. a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, a mailing list, that is. And that's, I, I feel that mailing lists and newsletter swaps are some of the best ways to market still because they're, they're great ways to tar target authors like you. So if you're like, I write books just like Sarah, then, then I can do newsletter swaps with her and grab her readers. Right. Um, right. That's kind of how it works. And then you do, you know, obviously it's a swap, so it's reciprocal, but they're, they're free. You know, mm -hmm. so other than the cost of your, your mail software, that's one of the best ways. The downside to that is you're not reaching out to new readers who maybe have never heard of you. You're always trying to do a word of mouth thing, which has a lot of value, but it it's limited. Yeah, and slow. It's slow. You know. Um, yeah, slow. I agree, though. That your email list, building an email list, yeah, that's one of the best ways to really kind that of set yourself up. Yeah. That's really and that was something I resisted at the beginning. I didn't, I didn't understand the value of that, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. I took way too long to build my mailing list. Yeah, yeah, that's very common, though. I think so many authors don't realize that that's important, and it's you know one of those things that ever almost everybody says, "Oh, I wish I had done that sooner." So mm -hmm. very common. Yeah. yeah. So, have you ever made a mistake, Mallory, and that turned out to be a good thing? A mistake that turned out to be a good thing. Or you, you know, you put something up and you went, oh, crud, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, you, you did a marketing thing that people told you wouldn't work or didn't work, and, but it turned out to be pretty good. Um, I guess one of the things that people recommended against quite a bit when I started out was putting characters on the covers of my books. Mm -hmm. Back then, almost all big space opera military science fiction books had pictures of spaceships mm -hmm. on and I had grown up reading a particular genre of science fiction where there were always characters on the cover. And so I, I went with that. And in, in, in addition to that, I write only female main characters. So I have like just a bunch of girls on the covers of my books. And I'm trying to do a bunch of, you know, um, mid, mid, middle-aged white male Republican men with a bunch, of, a bunch of girls on the cover of my, uh, of my books. And... And I, didn't, I never really thought about it at the time, but it actually turned out to work really well because it, it caused my books to stand out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you know in, in this sea of starships, you know, drifting about planets or shooting at each other, I've got these, I've got a bunch of girls. <laughs> right, right. Um, would you say that they still had similar elements so that people recognized that that was the genre that they belonged to, even though they were a little bit different? Yeah, I always did things like... In, in, so instead of like an outside view of a starship, you'd see that the character is standing by a window and you could see space outside, maybe his mm -hmm. mothership. So I did make sure to have a lot of those same elements in place. But um, I, I did make sure that my covers also always convey action so people realize it's not just not just people standing there. Well, sometimes people standing there, but a lot of times they're shooting or explosions <laughs> going off and stuff like yeah. that. So, and actually, yeah. I break the rules too where I have guns pointing at the reader on my covers too. Oh, you do? Yeah, so I do all the things you're not supposed to do. I didn't know. I actually didn't even know that uh, if Amazon would let that through. So that's very interesting. Um, I think it's important that you, what you said, you said it earlier and then now, that you wrote the book or you kind of fashioned your books after the kind of books you like to read. Mm -hmm. And just that whole issue of reading in your genre and knowing knowing the genre expectations, knowing your audience. While you didn't do spaceships, you knew your audience. And so I just think that is so, so important. And I think that's where a lot of 
new authors miss the boat sometimes. They either don't read in the genre um, or they're not particularly fans of the genre they're writing in or they just don't know who they're writing to. Yeah, when I started writing um, my first book in the series, I started writing about like 2006, 2007. At that point, I had read, I want to say it was at least 90% of all science fiction books written between 1960 and 2005. So I had a really good, except for maybe like something that really didn't appeal to me, but I had a really good understanding of, of what sort of stories were out there, what stories have been told before, yeah. which ones well. So yeah, I was able to dive in um, and, and write stories that I really enjoyed. And I think that's worked out really well for me. I do too. I do too. So what about the opposite? Have you ever had uh, something that you thought, this is a brilliant idea, this is going to be a winner, and that it just turned out to be a dud? Oh, there's so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, some of them were, were just, I think from an ad perspective, something you were talking about how it took you eight months to get comfortable with ads. Mm-hmm. Even, even myself, you know, I'm kind of considered a bit of a, an ad expert. I would say that easily half the ads I make don't really go anywhere. They kind of flop. And I'll think like, oh, this is the funny, it's the perfect target, it's the perfect image, it's the perfect text. And I'll spend like an hour making it or more. And I put it out there and it's terrible. It has a high CPC and no one buys off of it. Yeah. And I'll slap up something else in frustration afterwards and it'll work perfectly. It's, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, well, that makes the rest of us feel better. Yeah. yeah. That's something I really try to reiterate as much as possible that that it's very hard for us to know exactly what's going to resonate with a random selection of one to three million people right mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> put a lot of things out there and then see what works best don't try and like create this one magnum opus ad that going to be perfect i mean if, if if people who are really good at marketing could create ads that could just instantly sell a product that would work all over in any type of advertising, you know, with books, TV, movies, whatever, but it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. they have to try a lot of different ads for any type of product to see which one works. Right. I find if I, if I use, like if I use the author targets on Facebook ads, most of those are traditionally published or they're hybrid. And mm-hmm. my ads have to be just a little different for them as opposed to like targeting myself or my pixel because those readers sometimes will be a little more India focused. And so you have to kind of look at who your audience is and, and then, yeah, adjust the ads that way. But it is frustrating when you think this is a winner and it just, <laughs> and it's got a 80 cent CPC. And nobody's clicking on it. Yeah. Uh, I did a really funny mistake where I was, I was, well, maybe not funny. I was testing prices because um, I'm actually a pretty firm believer in in getting readers, not money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I actually price, once once the third book comes out in any one of my series, book one drops down to 99 cents. And um, multiple times I've tested this logic to see if I can if I can make more money on the front end by having a 499 or 399 book one. Um, and every single time it's worked out that no, I make more money if I have a if book one is 99 cents. And it's not true for everybody. It's not true in all genres, and it's not true for everybody. But because um, I've done this experiment with other authors, and some authors they make more money. Book one six ninety nine, for example. But for me, ninety nine cents is the way to go. And I I done the experiment, and I forgot to change a book back from four ninety nine to ninety nine cents, and my sales sort of plummeted. But I wasn't. I was doing a bunch of other things, and I wasn't paying attention too much to my ads and sales. And by the end of the month, I looked at it, 
and realized I'd lost over five thousand dollars mm. by leaving that experiment running for an entire. <laughs> yeah, well, that well, does. I know that people, does make us all feel better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give a little more information on how you test the pricing? Yeah. So what I what I would do is I would um, have a suite of ads running pointing towards the book, both AMS and and Facebook ads, and I would run. Well, usually I already know what the existing pricing is doing. So in this case, the existing pricing was 99 cents. And I would, I would work on my read-through for um, a given amount of time. Usually, usually I would take like the last four to six weeks. And then I would run, then I would I up the price for, um, for a month at one point on the book. And I measured my, what my read-through does. Both in sales. sales are easy to calculate, easier to calculate than KU, but I kind of get an idea of what my read-through changes. Because when you when you up the price on, on book one, your read-through improves. Mm-hmm. Because what usually happens is that you're now getting people who are squarely in your genre, whereas when book one's at 99 cents, you get people buying it on a lark. Maybe they never even bother reading it. Um, uh-huh. Usually give you a lower read-through. So I was able to work out like what my read-through numbers are between the different price difference, the different prices. And then from there, on, it's just a matter of doing the math to find right. out. Um, how much more money you'll make based on the on the read through you have, and and also the sales volume sales volume will decrease on on book one when the price is higher. So it was really just running the experiment for um, a couple of weeks, generating figuring out my read through numbers, and then just doing the math to see what it all worked out at. And it, it turned out that I was I was even back then I was making about five dollars more on the series by having a ninety nine cent book one. And now because I have ninety six books in my A on fourteen universe. If I hook a reader, I make about $250 from that reader. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important to know if you can test it and figure out what really works for you. That's, that's the way to go. Cause you know, it's so easy to say, well, I think that if I do this, it will work. But if you can test it and figure it out, then you have actual knowledge. You can use it to make good decisions. (laughs) So, so since we're talking about um, nonfiction, Tell us how you balance your fiction and your nonfiction writing, because you have several nonfiction books out as well. Yeah, I don't have a lot of nonfiction, so it's relatively easy for me to do that. But I, back in 2017, I wrote my first Facebook ads book, uh, which I updated last fall. So there's a second edition of that out now. And the second edition contains everything in the first edition, um, plus about an additional 90 pages of, of stuff. And... and um, that those books actually write themselves pretty quickly because it's all stuff I know. Like when you're writing fiction, you have to constantly think like, what's the character going to do? Mm-hmm. How are the, is their motivation make sense and all that? When I'm writing nonfiction, it's just like, these are the things that I do. <laughs> I just write them. <laughs> um, that one's pretty easy. The launch plan book, Joel and I actually had to spend a lot of time writing the launch plan book. I think that actually probably took us about five or six months. Um, it started out with us just thinking like, okay, we all know all the things we're supposed to do when you launch a book, but we don't always do them all. Mm-hmm. And we thought, Jill and I talked about making some checklists for ourselves, and that sort of ballooned into, into writing a book about different types of launch plans. Because one of the things we found is that when people launch their books, they don't really think a lot about um, why I should pick a particular launch plan, which one works for me. They just say, like, oh, person XYZ did really well for after release, or person XYZ only releases four books a year and does amazing. Mm-hmm. And so they, they sort of try to do that, but they don't understand what the situation is, what the, what the audience is, and all that. So... We started that book that way, and then and then we discovered that you really can't look at the launch of an individual book even. You have to look at what your plan is for the year, what your plan is for the series, mm-hmm. um, because consistency in your launches is really important. So that book did take quite a bit of time to put all that together, because we, we kind of wrote it, and then we realized, oops, this really isn't about launching one book. This is more about launching 
a series or launch all the launches you're going to do in a year. So that one kind of ballooned. And then the marketing strategies one um, is not done yet, but it accidentally released. And I'm, I want to blame Amazon, but I'm pretty sure it was me. That actually <laughs> <laughs> the after I paid the you know, sometimes you have 97 tabs open and while you're waiting for Amazon to reload, you go somewhere else and you forget yes. to see that last darn page yes. in KDP. I'm sure we've all yeah. done right? Yep. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. I'm guilty of that. That change never went live. Whoops. Um, yeah, so, so that's all. I actually, oh, and the other thing I did too is I wrote a book called um, How Wearing Leggings Changed My Life, which is about my, my journey as a transgender woman. And mm -hmm. uh, that one actually kind of wrote itself too because it was just writing about things that had happened. Of crying, so there was there was that. But um, yes, yeah, so the nonfiction doesn't take a lot of time. It, it really does seem to write itself quite a bit more. It's the fiction that that I mean, I guess for me it takes forever. For, for other people, they might think I write pretty fast, even when when I'm taking forever on a fiction book. Right. Tell us what it's like writing with your wife, though. Um, it's pretty fun, actually. I mean, we don't we don't co-author a lot of the books together. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, well, I guess. That depends, I guess, on someone's definition of a lot, because I think we've done 14 and 15 now together. Um, but she and I work really well together. We've actually worked to get together almost our entire adult lives. Mm. Uh, so we're used to interact with each other and working together. We get along well enough that we can basically spend 24-7 with each other for months on end, and we both survive. So yeah. that's a good sign. <laughs> that's great. That's great, because yeah, I fear... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to go on, but you, you're saying you feared for your husband's life? I yeah, I fear one of us would not emerge from the house <laughs> if that happened over here. <laughs> we, yeah. we did try to work together oh, a long time ago. Our kids were little, and that could have been part of the problem. You know, when you have little kids, there's just a lot of stress, but mm, it did not go well to the point both of us are like, whew, let's not do that again. Well, um, Bill and I also, when we first started writing, we actually beta read each, each other's books um, and gave each other a lot of feedback. And I think we learned a lot then too about what how to provide constructive feedback mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. other people in writing. Because, I mean, when you're an author, it's like it's your baby. Yeah. And, and especially when you're a new author, it's very hard to divorce yourself from that. By the time I feel like, I feel like by the time I got to about 25, I was finally able to really divorce myself emotionally from the criticism mm. that I was yeah. Like like ninety percent of the time. Sometimes yeah. someone will still say something like, "Go away, it's my baby." I can't <laughs> yeah. say bad things about it, you know. Yeah, I just had that happen. Uh, in fact, two days ago. Yeah, so um, it was. It's been very hard. Um, not because I mean I know it's a product and stuff, and I want it to be the best it can be. But it's hard when somebody says, mm, "That's not working for me at all." I was just going to say that the very first time I got a professional edit back on a book, uh -huh. I pretty cried, and then I refused to look at it for a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny because yeah, I I cried. I got an eleven paragraph email saying telling me why something wasn't working, and I was like, oh, and bless her heart, she didn't want to do it. I could tell she just hated to tell me, but it was the right thing to do. Oh, but it still hurts. So uh, tell me what you wish you'd known about marketing strategies just in general. Um, I think the thing that I wish I'd really understood from the beginning, and, and I guess I, I started like back in 2012, I don't know that many people knew about this at all, but 
The also bought system on Amazon is probably one of the most important marketing tools yeah. that, that exists. Um, and that is that, you know, Amazon, Amazon will show your books to people that um, like, sorry, if someone, so if someone buys your book and then someone buys another author's book who writes similarly, Amazon will then look at their also bots and show your book to that person's also bots or mm-hmm. show your people who bought read by the other author. And that's not just on their product page. That's in emails. That's um, altering search results. A lot of authors don't realize this, but every single one of us gets different search results when we search for the same thing on Amazon because Amazon knows what we like and knows what we're more likely to buy. Um, and the other interesting thing is that Amazon cares a lot about what sells. So a product page that gets a lot of traffic but doesn't make sales will actually start to decrease in promotion by Amazon. Amazon wants pages that sell. So for example, if you were to make an ad, um, put it on Facebook, and that ad is click here for a free pony, and you have that ad going to your to your Amazon product page, you're going to see a lot of traffic. It's going to be really cheap traffic off Facebook. You're probably going to pay like three or four cents per click because everybody wants a free pony. Um, or like what this crazy ad's all about. They get to your book page on Amazon, they don't buy because it's, not a free pony. It's a book about you know spaceships, and then they leave. Amazon will say, "Oh, this book doesn't sell. The page product doesn't convert," and they'll stop showing it in search results, and they'll yank it from also bots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that stuff all really matters. How how well your book converts, and and it's about the quality of the traffic you're sending there as much as anything else. Yeah, and I found with uh, because also bots have they've moved them. They're at the very very bottom of the page on on my pages. And I've found that since they've done that, my read-through is not as high as it was. And I've always had awesome read-through. And, uh, but I've, I've noticed a, de- a, a decrease in my read-through, um, which is not – it shouldn't be, be just because of the also bots because I have all the stuff in the back. But I do wonder if it doesn't play a part. I, I have no idea if it does or not, but – I, I know a lot of other authors saying the same thing, so, yeah. I still see the also bots in the place I always have, to be honest. Oh, really? Ours are all, a lot of romance authors, theirs are at the very, like, beneath their reviews, at the very oh, really? bottom. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty much useless. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much useless. It's, yeah, it really one is. Thing, it's kind of hurt us all, I think. Yeah. The one thing I do that's kind of surprised, a lot of other people don't do is, I mean, the reason why, like all those other product placements, like if you look at your book page on Amazon, it's full of product placements that aren't your book, right? It's full of the side, there's an ad running through your blurb, there's a, the also bots, there's the, the sponsored ads, um, there's, a, there's probably one or two ads on the side of the reviews. Um, those ads are all there because they work. And the thing that they do, though, is they stop them from buying your book and they send them off to buy another product. Mm-hmm. So what one of the big things that I do is I advertise on my own pages most of all. Mm-hmm. So that when you go to one of my product pages for one of my book, it's just all MD Cooper. Mm-hmm. Every C is MD Cooper. There's like, if you're going to click on a, on a link to go to a different book, it's going to be one of my books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's really important to capture those readers and keep them, keep them with your stuff. Yeah. And yeah. you do that with AMS ads? Yeah. With AMS yeah. ads. Yeah. 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 One thing I've noticed is that if I turn on um, auto targeting ads on some of my books, they basically are targeting me. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, I feel like that's called like advertising and self-defense, you know, where you're yeah. making sure that you come up when people search for your name. And so yeah, I, 
it's an interesting way to go about it, but I guess it has to be done, right? You have to make sure that people can see you when they're searching for you. Yep. And if you think about it, some people say, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, think about it. Everybody else that's advertising to be on your page and when you're advertising to be on, on their page, you're doing it because it works. Mm-hmm. So if right. someone's putting their books on your product page or if they're using, using um, brand sponsor brand ads or search result ads and they're appearing above you in the search results, they're doing it because it works. So kind of... I mean, I, I refer to it as pay to play. Amazon is basically mm-hmm. pay to play now. You have to pay to advertise your own name so that people will find you when they search for you. Yes, things have changed quite a bit. Yeah. So, hey Mel, I want to ask you: Are you all in with Ku? Or are you? Um, are some of your books wide? I, I can't remember. I did a wide experiment for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. At the point, I had about forty of my books wide. And I was actually making as much money wide with those books as they were making in KU. So I was able to offset the cost of, oh, for the, of make the same income. Um, the downside was that I was spending more money to advertise because I had to advertise for all these different stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was, I found that my ads were more, were better if I could target by, by store more. And like, for example, so for example, when I want to, to advertise for Kobo, I wrote, I made ads specifically for Canada for people who read on Kobo. Mm-hmm. Uh, by doing that, like I had at any given time, the in the top ten um, books on Kobo Canada, there was like two or three of my books that were in there. But the thing that caused me problems personally is all of my books are in one universe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. My readers kind of got that because I was I've been on really well branding my universe. Everybody kind of knows like okay, this is the Aeon fourteen universe, and they can, but when they looked. When KU readers looked and saw that a lot of a lot of my books weren't in KU, they just didn't pick any of them up. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a problem that people would have normally when they write entirely separate series. But when you write in one massive universe, it's either all in KU or it's not. Because what I ended up seeing was that the books were still in KU. Their KU reads were going down. Right. That was what yeah. you didn't put everything out, everything back. And then with your with your massive universe, do you have people writing in that universe with you? You do, don't you? I've got nine different co-authors. That yeah. yeah. You want to talk about that? I'd love to hear about it. Sure. Well, one of the things I think is really important for authors to understand, I guess there's two things. Co-authoring a book with someone else does not make that book come out faster. In my experience, it possibly probably makes the book take longer to write. Yeah. The other thing is that your readers will buy few. If there's two author names on a book, it's less likely that people will buy it. Um, and that's something that's been proven time and time again. Even the, the trad pub industry, for uh, what they do is they make, if there's two authors working on a book, they create a pen name and they mm-hmm. just use a single pen name for the book. Because um, readers just don't know, they're not sure what they're going to get if there's two names on the book. So it's not going to sell more books and it's not going to come out faster. People have to understand that going, going right into it. And of course, there's exceptions to every rule, but don't expect it to, to do the things that are against the norm. Um, the reason why I use co-authors is because I'm trying to create this massive universe that's telling this this effectively kind of like a, a single story in many respects. Over, it's ultimately going to be over about 400 books. And I understood that I couldn't, um, it would be one note if I wrote the whole thing solo. Like I wouldn't be able to create a diverse enough universe and diverse enough characters if I did it all by myself. So I brought in other, other authors for that. <clears throat> and I also kind of brought in other authors with the hopes that eventually... Um, I could, they could write more books almost solo. And I have gotten to that point. Like some of my co-authors I work with now have written like 10 books with me. And with those, those authors at this point now, I really just need to peruse the book quickly. It used to be that I had to rewrite half the book. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now I can now now at this point, ten books in, they actually do start to become accelerators. But it's not the sort of thing someone should expect to have happen right away. Right. That's so interesting. That is really interesting. So my question on that is when you started writing this, the first books, did you have this grand vision? Did you want all of your books to be in the same universe or did it grow kind of organically? Um, Back when I first started writing, I had no idea that it was possible to write as many books as I do now. Like I thought that like, wow, an author who really writes a lot of books could maybe write like 30 books in their lifetime. Right. Yeah. Belief. Um, <laughs> people do, and that's fine. But for me, I realized I could, I could, could, and wanted to write a lot more than that. So my vision was sort of like, yeah, maybe I can like write like a twenty to thirty book universe. It'll be really cool, and um, it'll be exciting. So I did initially plan on writing this massive universe, and in, on top of that, I actually did two years of research before I started writing. Mm, where I wow. Rules for the universe and really established my setting really well, so I understood how the how the whole thing was put together. Um, so yeah, so my vision, my vision of what amazing and grand was, though, changed quite a bit. Like I said, because it went from like maybe twenty or thirty books to thinking about three hundred to maybe five hundred books, even that I want to write. That's wow, that's just incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, really and truly, and truly, I just can't get over it. <laughs> that is just amazing. Um, so, tell us what is the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? Do you think? The single best thing, I think it really has to be a, a solid understanding of advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, well, I guess actually that's not really true now that I think about it, because if my books were garbage, I could advertise them all I want. I would have no read through. Right. So I suppose really the, at the root of it all, the best thing I ever did for myself was reading a lot of books in the genre I, I write in. Mm-hmm. Um, just, Cause that's what I, I credit my ability to tell a good story to, to all of that content I consumed. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because that's if you read in the genre you're writing in and you love that, it's almost like you can't help but pick up the things that will help your books be successful. Some people, I think, are like you and they can just read the books and then they've kind of got it and they can go with it. And other people, I think, they read them, but it helps them to take a course or to read a writing book because it helps them to maybe see the structure better. Yeah, but, um, I, I think that's a great, great way to learn your genre and learn what people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my statement where I think I've never t- taken courses or anything like that is not to say that courses are bad or that other people shouldn't take them. Um, right. I recognize a long time ago my the way that I learn is by doing, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't learn nearly as well by taking a course. So for me, it's much better use of my time to just start doing something. But that's not true for everybody. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we just interviewed um, Wendy Bella, and she said she writes romance, and she said the same thing, that if she tries to take a course or a book, it's not helpful to her. And uh, so I think we all have to figure out how we work best and then just do that and not and just be happy with that. <laughs> you know, it takes a while to come to that uh, knowledge, I guess, of ourselves. Yep. It does. So what... So this has been very helpful and you've shared a lot of great information and we appreciate it. So can you tell people where they can find out more about you? Certainly. If uh, folks are interested in reading science fiction books um, that tell um, a massive story that follows uh, four women across uh, thousands of years, then you can go to aeon14.com. That's A-E-O-N 14, the number one four, dot com. And you can grab the, fir- the great first book to start with is called Out System. 
there's actually a button on the main page that says start here and you can click that it takes you to a good place to start and um, if you want to learn more about the nonfiction that my wife Jill and I write about um, about how to market and how to launch books and whatnot you can go to thewritingwives.com so it's the words thewritingwives.com um, and we have our books up there and we also sometimes do webinars too where we do trainings on, on certain um, things like Facebook advertising and whatnot. Right. That's Sounds fantastic. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. Sure. All right. We'll see everybody later. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.